Hello, Hanyaks. Welcome back to the Rambling Viking podcast, where today it's going to be the first episode that wasn't pre-recorded like weeks or even over a month ago in a while. Yeah, that's right. All of last week's episodes were recorded at least a couple weeks in advance. So last week was the first week in a long time that I didn't even record one episode. It was kind of weird, kind of crazy. But here we are back in uh, to recording quote-unquote live episodes, or at least in-the-moment episodes, meaning I'm recording this the morning of release. So if you are not in the news, and today, today uh, I'm going to be a little less lighthearted than our normal Monday episodes, but I think it's because it's due. The last time I talked about something like this was episode 40, and if you can probably already guess what I'm going to talk about, because the title mentioned it, but it, today is... Um, revisiting of abortion. I have talked about it and I talk about it here and there, but this is going to be the entire episode really laying out my stance, my views on it, and why I am technically not pro-life anymore, but actually abolitionist about it. It's kind of a subset or a split off of the pro-life movement that I recently discovered um, through this one organization. And I'll kind of touch on that more in the end because that's actually a discussion within the pro-life side of things and not necessarily the discussion of abortion um, wholesale, meaning the, the, the pro-choice side versus the pro-life side. And so that's what we're going to be touching on today because today, supposedly the Supreme Court SCOTUS will release their decision on Roe v. Wade. They decided to push it Maybe push it up, maybe not, but decided to release it today in the leaked draft opinion, which I hold to the side that the leaked draft opinion was a bad move, and but the overturning of Roe v. Wade is a good move, and why is that is because it was a bad court ruling to begin with, no matter where you stand, that abortion should be handled in the federalist manner, as so many things in the so many things in this country are, meaning state by state, at your locality. I'm a firm believer that we work from the individual out and not from the top down um, in a lot of ways, meaning your local politics can dictate. Now, obviously, there are certain things like do not murder, you know, should be should be across the board illegal. Now, abortion is murder. And so I hold that uh, on some level, some place that abortion should be. um, Made illegal and criminalized federally, but at the very least, I think within pro-life communities that have a supermajority like Oklahoma, where we live, the fact that we haven't made that move, I am now convinced, is a giant loss. We could have prevented abortion, ended abortion here, and you might say, well, but the federal doesn't, you know, the federal government doesn't let you do that. Well, the abolitionist movement says when there are bad laws that go against humanity, um, that we are called, I mean, it's in our declaration that when a government becomes tyrannical we are called to overthrow or abolish it and so we can't treat the supreme court like it is the supreme law giver when we know that that ultimately comes from god being higher than ourselves and you might say well that's a religious argument well i believe it to be more a human argument in the sense of we naturally i think we all naturally come to put a god up in our lives, and whether that's uh, materials, whether that's ourselves, whether that's science, big S science, what have you. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here. We're here to talk about abortion. So depending on when they're, um, when the official decision gets released, you may we may already know if Roe has been overturned, or we may not, because this obviously has come out at noon, and so. 
We'll see. It may come out. The opinion may come out at the same time. And if so, I may post about it. I wish I would know the opinion. But I mean, I think it's all clear that it's kind of imminent that Roe is going to come to an end. And let me start by prefacing. I, I haven't always been. I, I've had an interesting journey and back and forth and kind of venturing to to this to this point to the point where I'm at with abortion. Now, I am staunchly pro-life. I believe abortion is the biggest genocide of our time 60 million babies over the course of half uh, almost half a century have been murdered in the womb and that is how i view it and i used to hold a view of like well we need to be careful with our language and we can't be so aggressive and then i thought well actually if i believe that these are babies no different than a say one month old one year old or two year old then i wouldn't hold back my language and be euphemistic with my language in saying a mom murdered her child by drowning it in the bathtub, right? And so why would I do that in this instance? And, you know, it's it's out of a good place and well-intended place to be like, well, I want to be able to reach people. It's like, well, I also, I can't, um, I can't hold back what I believe to be truth as well, right? And that's something that's important that is lost nowadays in the politically correctness and I've given in. And I believe that's actually a losing position to, to say if I don't believe, if I believe this to be mass murder. Now, it's complicated and nuanced when we talk about it. I'm not going to sit here and say that like this is all part of some grand plan. I think there are so many cultural implications and that we kind of incrementalized our way to this point. I, I'm not going to dance around the fact that that is very much what I believe. And I also don't want you to think that if you, that I, <laughs> now here's, you know, where it gets tricky, right? Is like, if you're pro-choice, I'm not going to look at you and I'm going to say, obviously, um, I'm not going to overly demonize you because I don't think that's helpful either. I'm going to say that, well, I believe that you're you know, on the wrong side of this and let's have a conversation and see if we can figure out, you know, maybe I can convince you of some stuff and you might think maybe you convince me. I will say this, very few issues. I'm always very open-minded. And that's why I've had a lot of journey on changing my mind or altering my beliefs. I mean, just this last week, I kind of altered from pro-life to abolitionist, as I talked about. So I'm willing, I'm always willing to sit down and have the conversation. I will say, though, I did have someone say to me, you know, kind of hint at that, like they thought they could maybe move the needle for me on, on abortion on some, in some ways. And this is one topic and maybe the only topic. But because I don't feel this way about very many things, if much anything else at all. This is one topic, though, I have thought, um, listened, talked and worked through, um, worked through all the ideas and angles and what have you and have actually held certain views, have been sympathetic to certain arguments um, and, and not, you know, been almost more sympathetic to the pro choice side and worked my way. This is I've built a firm foundation on this and I feel very confident and where, where I stand. Now, it's not to say you might be able to make some decent counterpoints to me, but as far as moving my needle much more, this is something that I've thought very extensively about and feel. I may not articulate it perfectly either because I've, I've tried to sit down and it's like, there's just so many, there's so many tendrils in this argument because so many things are interconnected. So I'm going to try and keep it as simple as possible because I think it comes down to just a few simple um, rhetorical differences and ultimately that's where the divide is and then we get down on all these little tangents and tendrils of of this point and this argument and this this part of it and try and say well that proves a bigger point and it's like well it comes back to the kind of this main point where we where we might disagree right and classically that's like where does life begin and where does personhood begin and 
and you know, is this, is this killing a baby? And if you're okay with killing the baby, then like, why let's, let's talk about that and so on and so forth. And that's really kind of the, a, I think it starts with a, you know, are these babies that we're killing? Because I, I, I want to be charitable and say that I think we live in a culture where you hear this a lot and it's just a clump, clump of cells. Right. And I'd say, go look at, go look at a fetal development. And I'd also say, well, we're just bigger clumps of cells because we are made of trillions of cells, but we all started from that one cell and it copied itself trillions of times. And while we have different types of cells now, every cell contains the same foundational DNA and components that we, that that first cell contained. And so that's where we are no different. We are just developmentally further, but we'll get into that. Right. And then, so then the question becomes after that, okay, well, when does life begin and is there a concrete line? Do we know for sure? Or is it more abstract and moving? And I think the pro-choice side of things has to do a lot more mental gymnastics to find themselves justifying this. And I, I believe that uh, <clears throat> the pro-life side has a lot more kind of concrete, hard lines, very clear cut, very simple. And it's not to say that, okay, if you have to do a lot more mental gymnastics, it, it could mean because it's a complicated issue, but I think it's very, it's gotten very convoluted. So we'll just, that, that's what we're going to be walking through today. And it's very complex and I'm probably going to meander and ramble a little bit, but that's why this is the rambling Viking. So obviously, um, that's kind of what you're going to get, but I, I firmly believe that abortion is the greatest evil of our time, and I, um, I, I actually wrote a, <laughs> a Substack little essay, too, so if you follow me on the Substack, if not, I'll put the link in the description, obviously, but I, I wrote a little Substack thing last week where the more and more that I've thought about this, it's funny, the more and more I've gotten ingrained and, and come to believe that you know abortion is murder, abortion is wrong, it's a great evil of our time. And I, 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 the more, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, you become a little bit more nuanced. You become a little bit more charitable. It's like, I, the more I look at this, the more I'm like, I'm standing in uh, truth in this matter. And, um, crap, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, and so this art, this little essay I did basically was like, I've come to see it as the equivalent as, you know, humans, there are certain things in human history, like human history, humans will always become corrupt with power. They always take advantage of the weak. And, and we, you know, while we have gotten better in society and I think we're more free, more fair, and this is the best society we've ever lived in. I think there are certain ailments that plague humankind through and through, no matter how technology or governments or just human decency moves forward. We're always going to see that. And that's why we still see things like, I don't know, sex trafficking. You still see child porn. You still see slavery in parts of the world. I mean, you see you see human and we live in a fallen world and, and, and fallen things. And one thing too, that I think we kind of look at as an archaic view, something that we've moved past is, um, you know, human sacrifice, child, specifically child sacrifice. We know that in ancient times that was more common, you know, you sacrifice all your ch children. They, they, you know, they had the burning idol of Moloch or whoever it was, and they'd go and cook their babies on there. And we're like, Oh my gosh, it's so brutal. How could we do that? And it's like, well, uh, I hold abortion to be the same thing. And in a lot of ways, there, I think there's a strong argument to be made that it's just our modern day human sacrifice. It's more euphemized and um, palatable on the forefront because we now live in a day and age where you couldn't convince people to do that. And so we we just move it forward to it's within the womb and we talk about it. You know, it's not a it's not a baby. It's a fetus. It's just a clump of cells. These are this is just common health care. It's for your reproductive good. But ultimately, we find ourselves um, partaking in 
what I what I will come to believe human sacrifice. You might say, wow, this guy sounds really, really radical. And it just I would just say, just hear me out, right? And and try and understand from my perspective that if I have if I hold to these certain foundational beliefs about abortion, that A, that is a that 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 child in the womb is no different than say a one or two or three year old, then and I apply the same standard that way, equal protection under the law, because that is um, the Imago Dei, the image of God. We are all image bearers there, right? And that distinct moment is conception where you have a new, unique individual human life, then logically that is consistent. And if I see people saying, well, I don't want my baby, I'm going to kill my baby because I can't, uh, I will have less money. Um, I won't be able to achieve my dreams. I won't be able to travel as much or insert reason here, you know, take up a lot of my time and effort. What I see then is like, okay, so life is going to be harder for you. And I'm not trying to downplay that. It will be harder, but for the sake of life being hard, not being harder and being easier and being the way you want it to be, you believe in killing your child. So logically, that argument to me follows that it is no different than the ancient child sacrifice fundamentally, but on its face and how it maybe presents obviously isn't that way. But um, I I kind of lay that all out in my little essay. So go read that. I'm not going to belabor that here. So let's just start here, right? Abortion is what is abortion? That's, that's, we got to define our terms. We always have to define our terms, right? And so abortion is the intentional killing of a human baby fetus, which is just, fetus just indicates point of development. It's like adult, it's like adolescent, it's like toddler. And fetus just means in, in the womb, essentially. And so people, people say, it's not a baby, it's a fetus. It's like, well, fetus is a it's like being like, it's not a child, that's an adolescent. It's like, well, it's a child, right? It's not a child, it's a toddler. No, it's a, child that's not a human it's a toddler well toddler is a human it's just a human at a point in development but anyways is the intentional killing of and sometimes a very brutal way that's another thing too is i think by and large when you talk to people or i see these man on the street things is you see is i see people who are or apathetic separated i was at that point one point in time I, I thought I thought abortion was settled. I thought we were always going to have it, and this was just something we we're going to have to deal with. I've since changed my tune, and here we sit on the eve of ending Roe v. Wade and hopefully having states abolish abort- abortion outright and fighting to end that great evil of our time and change the culture. And I, it's a it's a point of shame for me, honestly. I look back in you know kind of college and maybe even a smidge after, and I was like, I'd given up. I'd given up. And looking back, I'm like, wow, what if, I mean, I'm sure there were lots of people that were back, you know, pre-slavery ending who was like, oh, you know, these guys, they want to end this, but it's just too ingrained in us. When looking back now, we can see, wow, that's a silly, weak-minded view. And that's where I was. So what is abortion, right? That is, a, that is abortion. And some people might push back and I've heard that, well, abortion is a medical term, meaning the termination, ending of a pregnancy, i.e. child dying in the womb. And so they say that counts as miscarriages, that counts as other certain things that are spontaneous that happen and are somewhat out of our control. And I say, okay, that's fair. But for the sake of this discussion, that is not a part of that because a miscarriage is a spontaneous ending, you know, spontaneous death of a baby in the womb to no fault of the mother, to no fault of the other. This, these happen naturally. My mom has had miscarriages. We've all known someone who has miscarriages, right? And so that's not a part of this debate. We are talking about the industry, the act of abortion. So there's kind of a passive abortion, meaning that, that can kind of catch miscarriages. And then there's the active side of abortion, which is the industry, meaning people ending their pregnancy, electing, if you will, deciding to end that life. And so that's that's what we're here to talk about. So 
I'd say first and foremost, if you're someone, if you're looking at listening to this and you're saying, well, what about the miscarriages and stuff like that? Those are spontaneous when I'm talking about elective and we'll get into hopefully most of all the kind of side things. But one fundamental point that I come back to is a, I believe, I believe that it's clear and it's funny. I've listened to this debate of like pro-life and pro-choice people debate and the pro-life person says, obviously it's very clear biology, embryology, all that stuff dictates that there's a new life at conception. And then they say, well, the science, you know, actually there's science that says it doesn't. And so clearly there's a dividing line there is where it's been politicized. And, but as far as we can tell, when you go back through historically, that's what we see and that's what we know. And then when we start trying to look at defining lines, to me, that is the most clear cut one, because we have to say, okay, what, what defines you from me, right? We, we both have, we're both humans. And so we both have the same organs, operating system, brains and whatnot. Obviously there's something more than, um, uh, referring to the soul, but as far as like on a material level, what do you look like? But what makes me different from, from you? Well, it, foundationally, you have to go down to where does, how does my, my body kind of express itself, meaning give me blonde hair, give me blue eyes, give me the height, the weight, the, the, the muscle makeup that I have. Well, that comes down to the fundamental building blocks of humanity, and that is DNA, meaning the thing that fundamentally separates you is not that form physically have different bodies, but meaning like, well, what makes you, you and me, me is our DNA. And when do we, when does that first occur? That, that occurs at conception. That is when you have two gametes come together, two half cells, the sperm and the egg, who have half sets of DNA. And you might say, well, those are living lives. It is a temporary I would put it as almost a temporary, I don't want to say form of life. I don't have a good term for it, but those are not, those, you can't take a, a sperm and then, and then cultivate it just right and, and it'll grow into a human. You can't do the same with the egg because they are not fully human. They are designed in a way to be, be able, you know, the egg moves and the sperm swims and it's designed that way to then form a new human life. But prior to that, not human life. After that, human life, you have that set of DNA created and you have, and it starts, yeah, it starts as one cell. That's where we all started. But that cell is, the, my, that cell is no different. That is every cell. That same cell is every cell that makes me up now at, um, how old am I? <laughs> at 27 years old, 28 years old. Anyways, um, so that's, for me, that is the most clear divi dividing line because we look at viability, we look at certain development, and we know that early is a few weeks, by six weeks, there's heartbeat, there's all these individual things, and that's what fundamentally makes that different. And so that is when a new life is formed, that is when new humanity is there and personhood is established. That is no longer part of your body because people say, well, if you're going to out, outlaw that, you know, abortion, then masturbation is a form of, you know, or, or even just a guy, <laughs> sorry, he's gonna get a little explicit. I should have had some warning, but, but medically speaking, you know, ejaculation without the intent of trying to fertilize is essentially murder, right? But those gametes, they, they do not have the products needed to be able to survive on their own, but that zygote does. And that is where the clear cut new life begins. And so then moving on from there, guess what? It's fully protected, has full rights under law. That thing is no different. It is, it is location and development that, that differentiates. And people say, well, viability outside the womb. And that 
to me, those those waters get very muddy very quickly because A, viability has moved back, moved up, meaning we are at 24 weeks. The youngest baby ever born to survive has been 21 weeks, whereas 100 years ago, in impossible. That's not a thing. And so that is dependent upon medical technology. As it gets better, viability moves up. And and so guess what? So now personhood moves up and that basically comes to the magical outside of the womb effect, the magical birth canal argument. And we're, we're basically, that argument is saying, okay, well, viability, because we know what points of viability are. And it's like, yeah, but that isn't, that, that's a moving, that's a moving target. Viability moves up depending on where you are in the world. It moves down, it moves around. And it's not a clear cut, um, it's not a clear cut line. It's not a good hard line. And typically when you're looking at these things, and I'm not saying that because it's convoluted, it's not good, but it doesn't, it doesn't hold water to me, right? This is a bucket with holes in it where some get patched sometime and we're patching more and more holes so it can hold more and more water, but guess what? It's still a bucket with holes. And so it ultimately isn't going to hold any water, but that may not make much sense. So just, let's just move on from that, right? So that's where we, that's where we stand as far as what the term abortion is. And then I obviously gave you my point of where life begins and what, what defines life, right? And we can obviously get philosophical on personhood and where rights begin. And so to me, viability is a moving goalpost because they say, well, when it can survive outside of the womb, because then it is no longer viable. It's no longer dependent upon your body. And, and it's like, well, that argument to me loses weight because you say, well, dependency, what is, what is dependency? You have to narrow your definition down of dependency. And and it's essentially the the umbilical cord. There was a great interview I saw with Michael Knowles where basically the girl admitted, she said, she said, um, or or they debated, Michael Knowles debated somebody. And I'll see if I can link that, but they debated. And she said, well, it's essentially once you cut the umbilical cord, that is that is it, right? But that goes along with viability, which is a moving goalpost. And who knows, in 50 years, we might be able to cultivate a baby in an incubator completely outside of the womb and wholesale. And so does that always then have... So then from, from then when we admit that from conception, it is a life. And um, at that point, because it's not dependent specifically on a person's body. And so right away, I should say, obviously the, my body, my choice argument to me doesn't hold is, is a, is a non-starter because the fundamental difference there is when you say my body, my choice, you're indicating that is a part of your body, meaning like, it's like, it's like, you no different than your hand. It's no different than your foot. And you have the right to say, cut off your foot, cut off your hand. And that is, I mean, <laughs> Obviously, there could be some mental issue there, maybe needs to be addressed, but it's no different than that. And I would argue, well, there's fundamentally a difference. And one thing that I like to point to is that blood transfusion. Sometimes babies need certain things, done. there's certain problems and issues, and that baby could be a different, incompatible blood type from the mother, even though it's inside and attached to the mother. Figure that one for me. To me, that, that offers distinct differences that that is not a part of your body. It does not contain, it contains traces of your DNA and was from an egg that is, uh, mimics your DNA. And so it may have similar features and traits to you, but its DNA is fundamentally different. It is half from another completely different human being. And so you have no right to end that life and stop that, stop that baby from living because of convenience, which you might say convenience, that sounds like a downplay or serious hardships. Well, convenience is the simplest way to sum it up because that's ultimately what it is. Essentially, when you look at these arguments, you hear life is going to be 
hard. I can't afford it. This is not the right time. I'm going to have to drop out of school. I'm going to, you know, the, the father's not. And so it's essentially now that ties into the fatherlessness problem and the breakdown of the family. We need men who will step up and take care of these babies. Because guess what, guys? That is also your baby. You did. Now, the way that life works, meaning it, it runs through the womb of women. And so men physically, it's physically impossible for us to carry children. And so people say, well, it's more, it's the mom's choice because she's the one that has to carry the baby. It's like, yeah, but she can't do that without the contribution of a sperm. And you might think, wow, so you're really giving, you know, he, he did so little work. And it's like, yeah, but his, his job is to now support the woman, support the child and co-parent that child. And you have equal responsibility because foundationally, fundamentally, you gave you, you, that half that child is a product of you, meaning your DNA. And so even though physically for the first nine months, you, you don't really have that physical attachment of, of having to incubate it inside your womb, but that doesn't mean philosophically, biologically, that is not a, a, that is not also just as much your child. And, uh, so that brings me to that to next fun argument where they say, you know, no uterus, no, no choice. And it's like, okay, well, so basically if I don't have a, a physical tie to something, I can't speak on that. And it's just idiotic. And it's like, okay, cool. So, um, <laughs> if I'm not in the military, I can't talk about, I can't talk about, you know, oh, we shouldn't, should or shouldn't be invading this or that. To me, it's a silly argument because I say, first of all, that is half. Um, that is also just as much my child as it is say yours, but also on fundamental human rights issues. It doesn't matter where the argument is coming from attack the, I heard this yesterday, it said attack the argument, not who is saying the argument, right? Because really, at the end of the day, when you want to talk about and have a discussion about an issue, you should attack the merits of my argument. And if you, and if you, find, if you find yourself attacking me because of where I'm coming from, and there are certain discussions where it may be more relevant, like if you, if, if you want to talk about periods, that is, and talk about the effects of that and how that should be handled in certain ways and you know, um, our feminine products, obviously that's one where I can only speculate. And that one doesn't really apply to me here though. It's like, we're talking about protecting the unborn. That is a fundamental human rights issue. Okay. And so that's not a, it's not a personal, like it's different, it's different. And I maybe just shot myself in the foot by saying that, by not being able to articulate that perfectly, but my point still stands. So that's where I stand. My, my fundamental argument is this, right? So I, I, I stated my terms where I'm coming from on abortion. And so pro-choice sides are going to come at me, and I've already touched on them with all these arguments, right? What about rape and incest? Um, you're not a woman. You can't say, my body, my choice. Um, you want to force women to get pregnant. And that's another fundamental philosophical thing. We'll talk about shifted in the culture that played into getting to where we're at. And um, we'll just go ahead and talk about it now. So when you, when you see your force into pregnancy, that's another interesting way to view it because you really have to think about this. And that's the thing is, is you have these little arguments and it's like, okay, you need to think about how that ties back to kind of the foundations. For me, the question I always come back to is say, okay, but does, um, does that warrant, are you able to kill your child for? And I apply it. I trot out the toddler. I apply it to the toddler. Say, would that be reason to kill your toddler? And the answer is obviously always no. But because that's where I'm coming from, I'm like, look, you have to understand why these arguments don't make sense. Don't make sense for my side. And I think don't make sense in general because that's what we're doing, right? You have to come back to that fundamental point. This baby from the point of conception is no different than a three-year-old, a 20-year-old, a six-month-old. We are all 
humans who get personhood and get the rights that come with that, the foundational, fundamental rights that come from God, not from government, but that, gov- but that good governments will recognize and enshrine into law, and that is the foundation of our country in a lot of ways. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, she can't afford a baby. Okay, so she can't afford this baby, so she needs to kill this baby. Um, no, actually. It's like, okay, what about the mom who has a one-year-old and suddenly loses her job and can't afford her baby? What does she need to do? Well, she needs to go and kill that baby. No, you'd say, absolutely not. That's crazy. Well, to, the baby is no different inside the womb than outside the womb there. And that's the fundamental argument. And that's what I come back to. And that's the question that I have to ask and I believe has to be asked because that's what is happening. And we cannot shy away from I encourage you, if you haven't, go look at what abortion procedures do, what they look like, and there's live action, has some animated stuff that shows you what they are. And when when you see them, there's something visceral. There's something inside of us, like deep in our soul and our being. When I look at that and you just recognize that's not right, there's something fundamentally wrong going on. Plain and simple. and. Now, we might try and rationalize and find ways to justify, and I believe that's what all the pro-choice arguments do, but I do not think that um, any of them are justification enough. And, uh, and so that's, that's essentially kind of where I stand on this, right? Obviously, and I hope I kind of, I hope I was able to kind of maybe articulate my fundamental premise and point. Um, So let's maybe kind of dive into some of the common arguments I already touched on my body, my choice. It is not your body is a distinct, different body that can have different blood types that guess what? You may not be able to give blood transfusions to because you are different blood types. Like to me that the clear, clear cut separation viability, it is a moving goalpost as technology gets better. Viability moves up. So all of a sudden personhood moves up with it. And it's like, hold on a second. It should be a person from this point. There should be, there, there needs to be clear cut lines, right? And, um, crap, lost my train of thought. Uh, so we have the classic argument of rape and incest. Well, first and foremost, anyone who might object and say, what about rape and incest? Because those are egregious offenses. I used to, I used to be more sympathetic and honestly say, I don't know what to do about those. I have since learned that, that actually that first and foremost, those are to anyone who might say, what about rape and incest? That's why we need abortion. And, and make that case of, you know, why we need to have access to abortion. And I would say, okay, cool. Well, those are, that, that amounts to about 1%. At most generous, we'll say 2% of abortions. 2,300 a day, 2% of abortions. So like, we'll say if it's 1%, that's like 23 abortions. If there's roughly 2,300 a day, 23 are for rape and or incest. And you can look at the stats. I'll see, I'll try and link to the Gutenbacher Institute, which is Planned Parenthood's research arm. So this is coming from the mouth of the beast, if you will. And, and what we see is we see that, uh, crap, that 96, 97% are elective, meaning, i.e. comes back to the convenience. It's, you say, I can't afford it. This is going to screw up my life plans. This, you know, this isn't the right time, what have you. And so my retort to that is, okay, so you're fine. Let's limit to only rape and incest, meaning cutting down. 98% of the abortions. And I would just say, I, I would, I would, I would go, I would guess that most people on the pro choice side, when I would say that would say, no, that's not what they're thinking. Well, then you, okay, well then your argument 
guess what? Um, that argument holds no water then because you're trying to argue from that standpoint. And I said, okay, all I'm willing to, let's say, which I'm technically not, but let's say I'm willing to make that concession. Then are you willing to, okay, well, rape and incest, we need that exception. Well, are you willing to say only abortion only for rape and incest? And they'd say, I, I feel like most people on that side would say no. And so then it's like, all right, well, then you, <laughs> you, you, that argument just fell apart on its face. But interestingly enough, with, with finding this abolitionist movement, I found, I, found, I found something. I found that the rape argument actually is worse, meaning when we want to make exceptions, rape is the most egregious one because particularly coming from the Christian ethic, we are called to, and I believe this is just a good person ethic that most people would agree with. We need to take care of the alien, the orphan, and the widow. But specifically, it's honing on the fatherless, right? The, the fatherless, those, those who find themselves fatherless, orphaned, like those people need to be taken care of. It's a lot of times to no fault of their own and they, they didn't put themselves in that position. They had no say in probably why they were in that position. And what we see is when we say, well, what about the woman who's raped and she needs to be able to kill that child because the father committed a grievous sin against her. And it's like, hold on a second. That is, that is even more evil than, than, than out of convenience. That is worse than that because we are directly and completely punishing the child for the sins of the father. Now, the obvious argument is that that's a point of trauma. She's going to look at that child. She's going to see a rapist. And, and I, would, I would just go look it up. Go look at the testimonials that I don't believe. <laughs> I don't believe in this instance that you can take one horrible instance and fix it with another horrible instance, i.e. killing your child. And so that's, once again, that's the argument I come back to. Does that justify killing your child? No. Is that a horrible experience? Yes. Should if anyone should be killed, it is the rapist, the person who committed the act because they say she didn't have a choice to carry this baby. And it's like that baby didn't have a choice to be made in you against your will via rape. And there are tons and tons of people, prominent people, people who have great lives, people who are great people who are products of rape. And their mothers, I would argue, for the most part, don't find more trauma in looking at this. They definitely have to cope. Here's the first and foremost. Here's the fallacy that comes with that. They, they talk about it. it. Rape is talked about. Abortion, abortion for rape and incest is talked about like it will eliminate that trauma from your life. You were stuck with that trauma for the rest of your life. And it is horrible, right? And so that's not going to eliminate it. So, okay, but maybe I need to eliminate the effects or the, the products of that. But I'm a firm believer that obviously I do a serious blessings from tragedy. Out of horrible situations, great things can come. And I have read testimonials. There are plenty of testimonials out there of women who thought about getting an abortion. They changed their mind. They had the baby. They were worried about being traumatized by seeing this baby, seeing the face of the rapist. And what they found was that something beautiful, a child who, think about a child who can be loving, can be happy, can be passionate. You can raise up to be a great person and human being. That came from something so horrible. Something good, so good can come from something so horrible. And they talk about how it actually provided more healing than hurt having that child. And then the else, also the interesting point that goes along with that is when people want to say, well, you know, you have incest, you have these young girls who are raped by their uncle, raped by their family members, they're victims of sexual abuse. Well, let's look at it from this angle. I think this angle doesn't get talked about enough. You might say, well, they need to, you know, this is harming and this is part of sexual abuse of, of, of a woman who's caught maybe specifically within the family seeing this. And okay, well, what about from the other side of that where 
um, from the abuser's standpoint, they can now eliminate the evidence. You can go, oh no, you're pregnant. Let's go get you abortion at 10 weeks or whatever. You get your abortion, you kill your baby, you kill that baby, and I can continue said sexual abuse. But if I have children, it's harder and harder to hide the evidence and get rid of it. And, and so it, it, it's complicated, yes. But I also come back to the fact of like, this is not an excuse to kill a child. And actually, in some ways, it's, an, it's a way for abusers to get away with continued abuse and, and without having to deal with, quote unquote, the evidence to use kind of a crass term referring to a human baby child. So yeah, that I actually believe that the rape and incest exceptions are worse than the elective abortions themselves. From a moral standpoint, from a philosophical standpoint, we are directly, completely okaying and saying, yes, you need to punish the child for the sins of the father. And I think that's absolutely abhorrent. And so when people want to bring that up, first and foremost, I say, A, that's the exception, not the rule. But B, that's actually worse. I believe there's a good argument to be had that that's actually worse than the elective abortion. So um, we can move on to talking about forced pregnancy, right? We were forced against my will to do this. Well, if you weren't raped, if you weren't sexually abused, and you weren't technically forced because you chose to have sex. And this is another interesting philosophical point that culturally has shaped us to be, uh, to, to, for people to espouse that idea that, um, that pregnancy was against your will, unwanted pregnancy, right? Because once again, we live in a more, we, we have more control over our lives and what we experience and how we experience it than ever before. We, and, and so that leads us to a point of humanity where we're almost arrogant. We almost see ourselves as gods being able to, and we want, we want to, and almost believe that we can dictate every single aspect of our life perfectly. And we forget that actually there's so much out of our control. Well, while we think we have control, while we try to control what happens in life and certain outcomes, we can only have so much control. And ultimately life is going to do what life is going to do. And there are going to be hardships and things are going to happen. And they're going to be inconvenient. And it's not going to go with our plan. And part of that is what we've seen there's been a fundamental separation of a dichotomy built in for sex. So sex, the vehicle of reproduction, how we continue our race and how we continue to have humans around is the primary part of the quintessential. There are two parts to it, right? It's pleasure and reproduction, right? It is so that you could argue that I believe that the, the, the foundational blocks for surviving humankind and, and moving human keeping humans moving forward, meaning keeping us on the street, keeping us go from the extinct is sex. That is how we reproduce. There's a specific process and that is the function, if you will, from an evolutionary standpoint, but also from a biblical standpoint, be fruitful and multiply. We are commanded to do so, right? And with the way we are designed is guess what? That is pleasurable, that, that there is pleasurable for us to engage in. And so that is a natural incentive to do this thing, which ultimately leads to guess what? More people. And so um, one cultural thing that we've seen, and that's why you hear people say, and that's why I encountered this on Twitter. I might go through that thread in a minute, but why we encountered um, that argument of you're forcing me to be pregnant or this was forced against my will is that we have tried in our modern society, tried to separate sex from meaning um, we've tried to separate the um, the inherent risk consequence, if you want to call it, using that in a more broad base, not in a negative sense of childbearing, meaning we believe that we can have sex just for pleasure without having the potential inherent risk, when in actuality, that is always an inherent risk. Now, we have contraception methods that are not foolproof, 
My dad told me a story about a dude who his wife got a hysterectomy. She got pregnant with another child. And so then after that child, he got a vasectomy and then they got pregnant with another child, hysterectomy and vasectomy. So even the most surefire ways aren't surefire. And that comes back to understanding that there are things out of our control and specifically in the Christian world that we, that God has a plan and we cannot, God's will will be enacted one way or another. And we can only act it. We can only try and mitigate it and run from it so much, right? I mean, if it takes a whale, you know, a whale eating us to turn our turn our heads around to wake us up, or as you've heard from some of these blessings from tragedy, if it takes a, um, you know, it takes a life threatening cancer. Shout out to Justin and his family to convert their family. Like it will happen, and God can work through it. So we can only resist God's will, God's plan, so much, and. So what we see is people try and separate those things, meaning sex is just for pleasure. And I encountered this in Twitter. She said, she's just newsflash and she's trying to be snarky, right? Came out with these arguments. I kind of picked them apart and she came back to the same argument and was not hearing what I was saying at all. And um, so it's a newsflash. Some people have sex for pleasure, not for baby making. I said, that's fine. Your, your motive for it can be whatever you want. That doesn't change the reality that sex produces babies and that is an inherent risk that is a part of sex. And we, we can never fully escape. Technology might get to where we can have it 99.9%, but there will always be a chance because that is a fundamental part of sex. That is a natural consequence, inherent risk. So I said by consenting to sex, meaning choosing to engage in this act, we are choosing to engage in an act that puts us in a position to potentially get pregnant, even if the risk is minuscule. It's like, look, you want to go outside in the sun, in your pale skin, you are putting yourself at risk for getting a sunburn. You can have all, you can wear long sleeves, you can do all that, and that'll mitigate your risk greatly. But guess what? As long as you're outside, there's always some risk that you will get sunburnt, right? And the same is true here. And so as much as we would like to believe and that people in the culture believe that we have separated the two, that we can, that sex and, and make it more about pleasure than about child rearing and seeing like pleasure is a bonus factor. It's like, okay, we, we want to have this, we engage in this activity, but um, we want to try and deny the fundamental inherent, call it quote unquote risk or product or consequence of this is bringing new life into the world. And that's how we get, well, I was forced to carry this pregnancy. And that point was made to me. It was like, well, would you, you know, another human, it was, it was framed this way on this Twitter argument that I got into. It's like another human is inside of me growing against my will. And it's like, well, hold on first and foremost, that human. Okay. Well, cool. We can say it a human found itself inside of you against its will growing and guess and coming into being and is into being. And that, that little baby had no say in when it was time to come and that, that it was time for that baby to be created. That was, guess what? A product of your actions. And so what I see is that we're trying to be able to skirt responsibility for certain actions that are just inherent and inevitable and are kind of facts of life, right? Hard truths about life like when we it's that we cannot escape you know and so it's it's kind of like look it's like inevitable that we're all gonna die and so all we can do is maybe just try and mitigate that factor but guess what death comes for us all whether we like it or not and so to me that's that's we see that philosophical shift there is what we've seen and, and that's where that's where that argument comes from and that's where to me that argument holds once again loses loses its footing because it's because guess what? You cannot separate reproduction 
from sex and say it is just for pleasure. That can be your motive behind it. I know for me, my wife and I don't want to have kids yet. We want to have kids, but not right now. And so we, we do mitigating factors, but, and so far we've been successful. And yeah, so we, 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 pleasure is our motive for that, not child rearing, but we, we, I have always had the understanding that a child could come of this and this could happen. And guess what? Okay, well, that's what we're going to do. And there's a new child there after conception. And so that's what we're going to deal with. So, um, you know, we kind of talked about my body, my choice. We kind of talked about, we talked about how, um, we talked about the viability a little bit. We talked about the philosophy behind trying to, you know, it's, it's against my consent, forcing to be pregnant. And what's actuality, what we're doing is we're trying to, we're trying to step away, say there's another, there's another point there. It's like, I didn't consent to this in a world obsessed with consent. And I just say, well, the baby didn't consent to that either. And so does the baby not have agency or consent or or right to consent? Because if everything has consent, I know that I heard, I heard a story about someone getting mad about hearing, um, you know, dogs ears get clipped and said, the dogs don't consent to that. It's like, well, the dogs don't have agency to be able to consent. Dogs don't know what's going on. Dogs don't have the same agency as humans. Right. And so that's totally different. You might say, well, the baby, you know, we don't allow consent, age of consent until, you know, so kids don't have consent to do things like they like the one. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's true. But your point being is that like this got here against your will. Like you, you, you talk about it. We, we talk about it. It is talked about as if that baby decided to be there, but what was the factor that made it there? And you say, well, I used, I used protection contraception and guess what? I still had a baby. And it's like, well, that's the risk that you run. The only clear, surefire way to not get pregnant is abstinence. And people say, well, abstinence doesn't work. And I was like, I'm not saying it works or it doesn't work as a policy. I'm just saying that's the matter of fact that that is the only outcome. And actually, I do believe that it would work in more instances, but there's also a conversation to be had about how we've moved away. We're older and older until when we get married and start wanting to build our lives. And it used to be a lot younger. And so to me, there's an argument. I'm not going to get into that. Basically, though, I I think that's made it harder. We now tell people to resist that urge for a decade or more. And it's like, why are we not encouraging you to start a family? Right. And so build a family. Okay. So one, one kind of final thing that I want to get into then regarding abortion is then the last thing that we see is that another, another, the other significant culture shift that we see is that we see that child rearing family raising is, is no longer seen as the pinnacle is no longer seen as the most valuable thing that you can do in life. The older I get, the realization that I've come to is that the most valuable Accomp- the, the biggest accomplishment thing someone can accomplish is raising children, it's raising children well, having a happy family and ushering in, guess what? The next generation. What we, what our culture espouses is it is the culture of the self and ultimate self-indulgement. That is the pinnacle of your life is if you can hit the point of self-indulgence, meaning you can go where you want, when you want, you can buy what you want, um, whenever you want, and you can do whatever you want and act however you want, right? And that is seen as the pinnacle. And we might say, yeah, that sounds pretty great, right? But I think we can all attest to the meaning, the the loss of meaning and the craziness. Look at celebrity culture. They're getting married all the time. They're into all these crazy things and they have all the money in the world can do whatever they want. These famous people, what do they find? They find that you always hear about it, the classic emptiness. Now I'd be lying to you if I said, I wouldn't love to have enough money where I didn't necessarily have to worry about work or worry about being like, okay, can, you know, trying to always make, make ends meet. But that's not what I'm talking about here because I think for, 
it's a much lower line for me to be able to live that way, right? And uh, I'm talking about the ultra wealthy here, but um, that's what that's what that's what the pinnacle of society is, as opposed to the pinnacle of society. To me, and the pinnacle of humanity is having children, and I, I see that from talking to my parents, talking to other parents who have kids now, and yeah. Um, um, and so that shifted us to only talk about the burden of childhood. And we always talk about how oh, kids are so much effort. There's so much money. I don't sleep now that I have a newborn and all this stuff. And, um, what, what do we miss from that conversation is like, well, also you should ask the parents, well, like, yeah, but like, do you enjoy being a parent? Do you enjoy having kids? And most of them, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of parents out there who are like, oh, I hate my kids or resent my kids. And that's obviously, I think that ties into this culture as well. But, um, by and large, kids become a point of joy and fulfillment that is matched by nothing else. It's kind of, to me, it's kind of like getting married, right? Guess what? I discovered a new level of fulfillment and joy via marriage that I previously couldn't, hadn't ever and couldn't ever experience. And I believe that to be true once we have children as well. You can hear all the stories. Go back to li- listen to Maddie and Matthew's Blessings from Tragedy where, where I asked them specifically about that. And he's like, as soon as I saw my daughter, all like, it was, it was like, this is, this is what my life is about now. And not like, oh no, my whole life revolves around that. Cause I say, once you have kids, they're forever. But it's like, also, um, that's not a bad thing. And to me, I, I, I see through, I'm not, I see, I think that's where the feminist, feminist movement has gone wrong and actually hurt is People say, oh, you're just going to be a mom or stay at home. Mom is kind of something that's gawked at. And I'm guilty of this too. And I find myself thinking, I was like, and I have to, I'm trying to actively change my mindset and say, hold on. No, being a mother is arguably the most fulfilling, best thing you can do. And some people say, so you're reducing, you're reducing women to their ability to reproduce. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm saying that child and child rearing is second to none. I'm saying that is the most important thing. And I'm putting that on the ultimate pedestal. I'm not reducing women. I'm elevating motherhood, parenting, family building. And that goes for men too. I think we run away. And once again, we don't want that responsibility of having to take charge. But I can tell you that um, through the prospect of marriage and having a wife, I'm much better off. I'm a better person. I'm better for society. I'm better all around because of my wife, because I have that quote unquote responsibility tied to my wife. I have someone who keeps me accountable, keeps me in check and guess, guess what pushes me to be a better man. And that's part of it. And I believe that's what kids do. And we have a generation of apathetic, lost, aimless men. I somewhat am one of them still, and definitely was several years ago and can definitely identify with that feeling. And I'm not saying go out and put a baby in some random girl. I'm saying be intentional though. And I'm saying in a lot of ways, I think marriage, families, that, that will, that can drive a person to be the best that they can be. Cause that's what they, they have some, they have something outside of themselves they're responsible for, but sorry, getting off topic. So that's what we, that's what we see though. That that's, that's what is pushed is the, is the pinnacle is how high can you get on the corporate ladder? How much money can you get? And do you just have the quote unquote ultimate freedom, meaning the freedom to indulge the self, do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And I don't believe that it actually brings about the most meaning or is the best for society because then we guess what we have people pursuing their own ends and they will fall into fall into competition in the sense of I'm looking at you and I want to be better than you or you're in my way and so I'm going to push you down whereas um, husband spouses kids put something beyond ourselves and we have to focus on them and building 
them up and that is better for society. So to me, I see we have, we have a fundamental shift away from what is the what is the most valuable thing in life, right? Because a question that I mentioned, I know on the Jordan Peterson book review, and I'll mention here again, is he says, you know, we like to compare based on arbitrary things. And so according to our culture, obviously it's bank account, corporate ladder, what's the success? And so you have two guys who work at this company, one guy, guy A, we'll say John and Jim, Jim is better at his job. And so he's gotten a promotion is in a higher position than Jim. So Jim looks at John. Oh, geez. I said, Jim and John. we'll say Bob and John, Bob, Bob is better. Bob has a higher position. John looks at Bob and says, I lost my train. I can't keep track of names. So John looks at Bob and says, wow, he has it better. But what John doesn't know about Bob is Bob's, Bob's marriage and family has fallen apart. He's going through a divorce because of an affair that child's foundation of family is being ripped apart and while bob has a better has a better position and makes more money john has a better home life has a better work life balance and is able to be a good father and and his family is going right and so you and so what jordan says is who has it better the point being that there are many factors that go into what is good what is a, What is good life? How do I have it better than you? And that's why we can't get too caught up making those comparisons. And, um, and, and I would personally argue that the guy who maybe makes a little less money, but guess what, has more of a home life, has a happy home and family, has it way better. Because at the end of your life, what are you going to look back on? And what are you, this is what I think about, and look at people who are at the end of their lives. Are they glad that they got whatever promotion at the expense of their family? Or what are they glad about? They glad, are they glad that they had they had a happy wife, a happy husband and wife, happy spouse, happy marriage, and they raised kids and now their kids are adults and they have grandkids and they look at that. That's where people find the most joy and the most fulfillment. And you see it when you see people who get to be parents, grandparents, get to the end of their life. And I know, I know for a fact, my parents make it a point and I'm very blessed in this sense. A, I have great parents. They are amazing, incredible. They are not perfect. But I look at that and say, man, they did a freaking great job and, I, and I'm so glad they're in my life. But they, they now make it a point more than ever to say they love me. They're so proud of me. And you can see it. I can see it when they say that, they, that, they're, that they're proud of where I am in life. They, you can see it in their face that there's this depth to it that is just unmatched by anything. My dad... You know, for example, they could have had the best year business-wise, made more money than they had, and been able to travel. And you know what? You know what? They're gonna talk about the most at the end of the day how happy they are that they have kids that they love, who love them back, they have a good relationship with, and are doing well in life. And to me, that is that is that is something we have to get back to, and something that is lost because that is not something that we see. That's not something that we have anymore. And that is what led is what that is what led us to this abortion topic is that we believe that it's all about the self and we take away the value of actually, I think the most fulfilling and meaningful thing, because what do we have more than ever? We have all this craziness in the world. And what do I see as an underlying factor? I see the factor of chasing that deep purpose, fulfillment, meaning finding your place in the world. Well, guess what you can, I, I, I firmly, I firmly believe now where you can find your place in the world is, 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 having kids, raising kids, having a family and building that out, making that your priority. Now you might, you might say, well, what about those who don't want to have kids, can't have kids or can't have kids? 
are they lesser than? Will they not see some fulfillment? And I say, absolutely not. Because not everyone is going to have kids. Not everyone is meant to have kids. There are some who are meant to adopt. And I'm not saying if you can't have kids, you should adopt. But there are also some who are not called to either. Just as there are some who are, to use the Christianese, called to singleness, right? It does not mean that you cannot find the deep fulfillment. Because at the end of the day, as a Christian, I believe that our deepest fulfillment, that ultimately comes from God. Well, I just said, you know, that is the most fulfilling thing you can do in life. Obviously, all of this is second to our relationship with Christ, knowing Christ and knowing God, knowing the perfect being of whose image we are, of in whose image we are made. And that is, that is ultimately where you can find the deepest fulfillment and meaning. But um, definitely, I think sometimes when you could talk about this debate, say, what about people who can't have kids? Or I would say even people who don't want to have kids say, that's fine. I would make the argument that you should maybe reconsider and think about having kids because uh, I think you'll find more joy in it, but I'm not going to force that on you by any means. And people who can't have kids, that is tragic. That's devastating. Have you, but, but maybe you're called to adoption. Maybe you're not though. And there are plenty of other ways to get involved in community and get involved with those who do have kids, play a mentorship role and build out your family and your community. Once again, we think that it's about me, 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 and how far can I get? And so what, what, what don't we have? What are we lacking? We see people are more anxious. People are more connected digitally, but um, less connected than ever. Personally, I would say interpersonally. We know more people. We keep, quote unquote, keep up with more people, but we don't have those deep, meaningful connections with people and a good community. And there's, that's something that I've found that like, I'm like, okay, cool. I can have all these cool like Instagram people I follow and whatnot, but the best thing, especially being nomadic, like we have been in bouncing around, the best thing has been that community, that family, both our biological and our communal family, meaning the people that we choose to put around us and make, make us close and seeking out those relationships, that has brought me peace, joy, and fulfillment. So might've gotten away from the topic of abortion a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and we're already at an hour, so I guess I can't go into the abolitionist. I'll hopefully talk about that on a subsequent podcast on why I'm no longer pro-life and the issues that I have been illuminated in the pro-life side of things that actually hinder the push to ultimately end abortion, make abortion unthinkable, and um, put it in its rightful place as child murder. And so that'll be a subsequent podcast. But um, all that to being said, I don't. I feel like I maybe meandered through that and it wasn't perfect, but I just wanted to flesh out my thoughts in light of the impending decision that should overturn Roe v. Wade. And I would just, uh, I'll end on this. I'm, we'll, we'll close on that since that's probably what's coming, if not today, if it hasn't happened um, already during recording, and then maybe it's going to happen and we'll just see what it is. But um, I believe that... <laughs> it is a good decision. And I believe that most people who want to look at legal decisions that have been made and say, we need to get rid of the bad ones and keep the good ones, that this was a bad decision. It was arbitrary. It was ex extrapolated from this right to privacy, supposedly found on the 14th Amendment that was then extrapolated to this. And it was, Jane Roe was actually just a pawn. And I just read a great article in the Daily Wire that's behind the paywall, but it outlines Jane Roe, a uh, Martha McCorvey's life. and. Um, and kind of how complicated it was and how she really wasn't, she wasn't, she was an opportunity for a couple of lawyers who were trying to fight abortion way back in the seventies. And, 
Um, and, and really she was a pawn and nothing more, nothing less. And she kind of lived a sad, hard life. Really. It's kind of a, it's, a, it's kind of a sad story, but she ultimately came to pro-life. But then there's a documentary saying on her deathbed that she recanted on that. Ultimately, I just look at it. It's a sad, hard life is what she lived. So it's very interesting because at the end of the day, um, I believe that we, we live in a federal system, meaning states can manage themselves and localities can manage themselves. And I like that. Like if Oklahoma is more red than California is more blue and they want to govern that way, they should be able to govern that way. And we should be able to govern as much as we can that way, all within the, the guidelines, the boundaries of the federal constitution. Obviously, I'm not talking about slavery or, or, or infringing on civil rights. Those are clear cut decisions where I'm saying like, no, no, that is full sale bad. And that's not, there's, there's no topic of debate, right? We all believe that we are created equal. We are humans and we deserve the same rights, no matter the skin tone that we carry. Right. And so we need to, and we're all humans there. And that's the same argument that I'm making for abortion, right? Is that like, we need to be ultimately, that's what I believe. But at the very least, this is a step in the right direction for those places, supposedly pro-life. Um, well, that are pro-life like Oklahoma, who currently quote unquote, can't ban abortion because there was some federal guideline passed down from the Supreme Court that was kind of an erroneous decision is not allowing them to be able to do that. We should be able to do that, right? And it's about half the states right now, around 20, 26 states, depending on how you look at it, have restrictions and trigger laws and things like that. And it's like, well, there's still half the states that allow it. And so people say this is an attack on women's right, reproductive rights, reproductive health. Well, I told you I made I made this case that, you know, I think I kind of laid out a lot of my foundational beliefs around abortion. I'm sure I forgot something or I said stated something badly. There's just too much to cover. This, this could be a three-hour episode where I talk about all the nuances and all the different parts of abortion and how abortion is a symptom of so many things in our culture. But I kind of tried to lay it out at least the foundational beliefs and where I stand on things. And that based upon that um, standing, it was just like, no matter what argument you throw at me at the end of the day, all I'm going to say was like, okay, well, is that warrant? Is that justification enough for um, killing an innocent baby? The answer nine, 10 times out of 10 is no, there's no answer for that. Oh, one that I forgot to touch on women health of the mother. What you do is ectopic pregnancies. What you do is you deliver the baby with the intention of obviously it's a, it's a secondary consequence, meaning, okay, mom's going to die. Baby's going to die because mom's going to die. So what do we do? We need to get the baby out of there. So we take the baby out of there using every effort to keep it alive and to save it, but prioritizing the mother's life. And then, and, but knowing that if it's, if we're only at 15 weeks, we don't have the technology to keep this baby alive. So this baby will die, but we're not intentionally going in and essentially, you know, it's kind of more of a, it's more of an imagery thing, but you're not literally doing this, but, it, but essentially you go and snap its neck and then pull it out dead. Right. It's like, no, we're going to pull you out and try and resuscitate you, try and keep you alive. But we need to get this out because the mother's at severe risk or when they get cancer and they go through radiation and it's like, well, we're saving the mother because she gets cancer. And it's like, well, but this baby may die, but we're not going to go in and just decide, okay, well, let's kill this baby because the baby may die or probably will die. It's like, hold on. I'm a person of miracles and I'm a person of faith, but I'm a person of that. We shouldn't count our losses until they're actually losses, right? You never know what's going to happen. And there are plenty of miracles out there and you can find those stories of people who survive crazy instances, but hopefully I made a halfway decent case on at least where I stand on things and revisit this topic because I I'm, I might go listen to the first time I talked about this issue way back in the day. This would have been three, maybe over three years ago now. And because it's like episode number 40. And so who knows what I said now? It would be interesting to see what I said there and what I said here. But I think my views have gotten stronger. They have shifted on some things. 
Um, but I definitely feel a lot more confident in my stance. Uh, cause I think back then I may still not have had a good answer for rape and incest. And now it's like, I'm totally flipped on that. And I know a lot more around this topic. So I'd be curious to know where you stand on an abortion and what maybe what, what trip ups you have or what qualms you have or what issues you have with my side questions you have for me, because I definitely think this, this is a, a debate and a conversation we have. And you might say, well, you use very strong language. Once again, I'm not here to demonize you. I'm, I'm, I'm saying based on, I'm saying my beliefs dictate that this is an abhorrent, horrible act. And it's like, look, but I wanted to bring everybody to see that and to, to see that evil. And so I don't think demonizing you is going to do anything. I think the way we're going to do this is if I'm able to, we're able to talk about the ideas themselves and not talk about the person maybe espousing those ideas, right? And so I'm not here to see like, you're all just pro-baby murder. It's like, no, I think you are, I think you're wrong. And I mean, I guess from a technical standpoint, I think you're that way, but not in the demonization standpoint. And so I want to sit down and talk with you and try and figure that out because I believe that the best disinfectant, the best um, solution to bad ideas is sunlight, meaning we put them out there in the open and we are able to discuss them because when people, when things are just allowed to fester and you can't talk about them and you keep them held up, you're never going to find any of you. Like when I sit here and I'm just talking into this microphone, guess what? There are things I'm not thinking about angles, questions, or certain aspects of a topic. And every time I sit down and talk with someone and have someone on and you're in a conversation, guess what? They always bring up something. You're like, Oh, I never thought about it like that. Or I never thought about that way. Or that's a good question. And that prompts this thought process. And guess what? Now, we mutually are seeking truth. And so we are going to be able to find the flaws in our side, but we're also going to be able to hopefully collectively come to a more truth and people's minds, if you're open-minded are going to be changed, but I'm definitely interested. And if you want to come on and maybe quote unquote, debate me about abortion or debate the merits around it and have these conversations, and I'm not going to pretend that I have a perfect answer for every single thing. I think I've proved that on here and across the course of this podcast that I don't, (laughs) I, I'm, I don't articulate things perfectly because I'm just a regular dude, but this is, you know, that's where most people live is most people are regular people who can't necessarily articulate things or haven't thought things out, um, and had to rationalize their opinions and, and rationalize and think about these things. Because when we do that, guess what? We figure out what we believe. We figure out if, if what we believe actually, actually makes sense, (laughs) actually kind of has some footholds, actually hold some water, or if we were like, oh, wow, there's some problems there. I got to rethink that. And so that's what I'm here to do. So um, thank you so much for tuning in to the Ramley Viking Podcast. I know this is a long one. This was a heavy one. This was a doozy, and I probably didn't cover every single objection. I didn't even go through that Twitter thread that I told you I was going to go through because I decided to get fiery and feisty um, with someone. But maybe I should just use that real quick now, right? No. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. We're at the end of the episode. <laughs> and so um, I covered a lot of the arguments, though, in that in that little Twitter Twitter spat that I had. So definitely interested. Please send in any and all questions, thoughts, qualms you have with that. If you want to come on and discuss or if you just want to send in a few thoughts and have me address them on a subsequent episode, write in Wednesday. We'll be back on Wednesday. So make sure to write in your questions and um, it's fine if they're about abortion or it can just be lighthearted, random questions as it is. Make sure to get in your questions by tomorrow night. DM 
text message, email, voice message, whatever you want to do. Um, but if you want to come on and maybe discuss this topic or have an in-depth conversation with me and we can talk about that and it, whether you're pro-life or whether you're pro-choice or whether you're abolitionist like me and maybe there's something you miss or you you there's something you don't like about my arguments. Obviously, if you disagree with me, I'm sure you're sitting there like, well, no, that's not fair because of X, Y, and Z because I do the same thing when I think about things. But um it could benefit us to have the conversation. And I didn't even touch IVF, which I'm actually not as clear on as what I, I used to think that was a universal good. And now I'm like, hold on. I think there's some issues that it poses to certain pro-life ideations if we're for IVF, but didn't even get into that today. So this has been long and drawn out and convoluted, I'm sure, but I hopefully I try, hopefully I was able to make somewhat of a clear case and I'm sure I got on some tangents and didn't come back to some things. So we may revisit this again, but Roe may have been overturned already or it hasn't been yet, but I, uh, I know it's maybe not the way you're expecting to start your week, especially on this podcast. I try and start it lighthearted and fun and um, that's why I'm thinking about maybe branching off and starting other podcasts so I can hone in on specifics on each podcast because then I'm not trying to do everything all here on one. You might say, what? And I say, I know. Lots of things going on behind the scenes. Potential monthly live stream. Anyways, send in all of your thoughts. Thank you so much for being a part of the Hanya Accord. If you're new here, welcome to the Hanya Accord. Um, I want to thank you for being a part of the community as we build it out. But um, this has been way too long and drawn out. But that is kind of just my foundational thoughts and a lot of thoughts I have around abortion and how I think it is a, a universal evil of our time. It is mar that when we will, I hope we look back on history and we look back at a period of 60, 100 years or whatever, and it's like we were killing our babies. And that was wrong and horrible. And that is my hope because that is my foundational belief. And I'm here to. Hopefully, I'm here to advocate for the complete abolition and criminalization of abortion. And you, and some of you might be listening to that and saying, wait a minute, even the women who have abortions? Short answer, yes. Teaser answer, you're going to have to listen to my, my one where I talk about what, how I shifted to abolitionist and what that actually is and looks like. If not, though, if you want to go look for yourself, go to free, freethestates.org. Go check out live action. Um, go check out the statistics for yourself. Flesh out these arguments. Um, send them my way and let's get, let's have a conversation. Where do you stand on Roe v. Wade? Are you for it being overturned? Because then it just goes back to the states and then it's kind of up for debate and the states can decide. That's essentially what it is. So that's the big question of the day. If it already hasn't been overturned, I think it will. I think this is a net good for our society. But you're welcome to disagree and we're welcome to have a conversation on it. Thank you so much.